When it comes to research in economics, the internet's full of jokes, like the second law of economics is they're both wrong. John Maynard Keynes famously said there's no harm in being wrong, especially if one is promptly found out. Well, sure, that's true, but for researchers themselves, careers can be on the line. What if they think they've arrived at a breakthrough and they make an announcement that turns out not to be right after all? Here's Professor Steven Spiller, who studies best practices in marketing and data analysis at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. Our careers are definitely a case where we see why should anyone trust what I have to say? Well, most of the reason that they have to trust what I have to say is based on what I've said in the past. And if what I say now is so wildly wrong or problematic or causes problems, then that can do two things, right? One is it can cause people to go back and reappraise what I've said in the past, look at it through a different lens, maybe now distrust that. And two, moving forward, now all of this trust that I had built up by being a careful researcher is tainted. And now everything else, even if there is something critical out there, now there's reason to second guess it. It's a bit of a, the boy who cried wolf problem. Um, and so it absolutely can have individual, professional, and health results. And so I think that's uh, important to, to get it right. And getting it right may sometimes mean moving really quickly to get it right and do our due diligence to confirm it quickly so that we can get that public benefit out there, but we still have to get it right. We'll hear more from Professor Spiller later on. I'm Orman Alney, and this is UCLA Anderson's podcast, How the World Works. We talked with a cross-section of Anderson faculty members who do research of different kinds, some more sensitive than others. Margaret Shee is not just a professor, she's also Associate Vice Chancellor of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, currently a very sensitive field. So what does she do when she thinks she's made a breakthrough? Well, then I will get very, very excited, and I will probably be working day and night um, to figure it out. I'll just be just thinking about it all the time working double time to, to make that big breakthrough. Is it risky? Are you liable to make a mistake, to overstate or uh, make some comment that creates expectations? Oh, well, so in my line of work, I have to be extra careful with any of the research that I do. I'm making sure that I'm conservative in my inferences, making sure that I'm aware of my positionality before I go into the work. And when I do my data, I'm making sure that everything is done correctly, just because anything in this research area is seen as such high stakes and it has so much attention focused on it these days. So when you have a perceived breakthrough, do you feel as though there's a spotlight on you? I do. And I am very careful about the words I choose when I present my research. I want to make sure that if people do use my research, they're doing it responsibly. So I do feel like there is a spotlight on it, especially recently. What happens or what's liable to happen if the breakthrough isn't a breakthrough after all? Then I retract my work if I find I can't replicate it. You just be upfront and say, I haven't been able to replicate these results, and you retract it. So you don't want to have oversold them. 
No, and I, I especially in this area, I want to make sure I don't oversell. Stavros Panagias doesn't oversell either. He's a professor of finance, extensively published with a credible reputation, who's not afraid of controversy. And when he senses a breakthrough, he gets ahead of the game. I think that when somebody thinks they're onto something, and I can tell you for myself, when I think that I found something, normally I become my own worst nightmare. I question myself. I try a hundred different ways of finding ways in which the thing that I have been researching might be wrong. I spend all the time in the world, and that is one advantage that we have in academic research. We are not normally doing research that has to be under time pressure. So I spend all the time in the world to try to make sure that what I'm about to say is actually something that went through all the rigors that people are expecting academic research to go through. And then, of course, there's a second layer after that, which is if I try to publish work, then that work has to go through peer assessment. We send the work to a journal. Some people that we don't know, who are our peers normally at other institutions, they get to write a report and get to ask us questions and get to give us robustness checks that we have to do before they issue a recommendation to the journal that they should accept the paper we just wrote. So I feel that academic research, by its construction, by its definition, its first goal should always be rigor and constant robustness checks, questioning the results. And the best way to achieve that is the minute we start doing research, we should always be our own worst critics. I don't take this lightly at all. Look, we're all humans. To err is human. So there's always the potential that no matter what we do, there's always the potential for an error somewhere. But I do think that we should constantly strive to make sure that at least in academia, we always are worthy of the trust that people show towards the research that we do. Professor Elizabeth Honka studies consumer behavior and how people shop for and purchase financial products. What's her concern about overstating a breakthrough? The type of work that I do is not like medical research, let's say it. It's more about quantifying things, quantifying effects, quantifying how competitive a market is or how consumers behave, what are the forces in the field. And so we don't really get a lot of this astonishing, big, new, revolutionary results that you would get, for example, you know, by having a 90% effective COVID-19 vaccine that can really, you know, change people's lives. Our results are more about, you know, quantifying about how do we think about how markets work, how companies work. You know, do we find that there's an old discussion in economics whether advertising is a good or a bad and so sometimes, you know, there's kind of this popular feeling that advertising is actually a bad annoyance to consumers. It's something that makes markets less competitive, more monopolistic. And so I found, for example, in some of my research that advertising is actually a good 
meaning that it makes markets more competitive and it helps smaller companies. And so the question then is just to figure out why is this the case? So is it something that is specific to the market that I'm looking at? Because previous research has overlooked something or has not had data on something that really changes the result that reverses it. And so I think, you know, academia is quite open to new results that might contradict old results as well as in the example of advertising. But the question is more about can you explain why this is happening? Can you convince people why your results are different from what previous research has found? So you don't then feel any particular stress about the possibility of uh, prematurely releasing something? Um, no, but again, um, I do that after I've crossed my T's and dotted my I's, and I am sure that you know the results are what they are, at least the main results. Obviously, you know, the numbers might change a little bit, you know, whether the increase is 25 or 30 percent, for example, but that there is a significant increase. I have to have enough confidence that, um, this is the result that is going to be the final result, at least directionally, even if, you know, again, if I operationalize a variable differently or if I do an additional robustness check, the actual estimate might still change slightly. Having said all of that, one of the best advice I've gotten from my PhD advisor was that once you publish something on the internet, it will be there forever. So before I publish a first draft of a new paper, of a new manuscript online, I want to be sure again that, you know, the results will hold. And what if they don't? If they don't and you have made a mistake, then you just have to own it. You just have to, you know, say, look, I've made a mistake. I've corrected it. And this is how the result is. If it happens before the publication, you know, you will have to explain to to your fellow academics, you know, why the results are changing and what mistake you have found and how you've corrected it and convince them that, you know, this is the correct result now. If you find the mistake after a journal publication, you usually write and publish a correction to the paper. Professor Fernanda Bravo has studied a crucial contemporary issue, how the FDA makes decisions for drug approval and how the process has been impacted by COVID-19. How does she stay objective when the data shows early promise? I mean, it's very common that you get very excited about preliminary results, but I think one of the responsibilities that we have as researchers is to share results and insights that have been kind of tested in a more robust manner. I think you have to keep yourself objective as much as possible and do your, your homework. You have to test your results, see how robust they are before you can release them out to the public. 
I think other than just try to remain objective and, and do your homework, that's kind of the two things that, that come to mind. Because it's very easy, you know, sometimes you find something and it might be it might be that you're missing certain aspects and then when you do all these robustness checks that are needed, maybe the effect is just not as strong as you thought. But I think you have to kind of be honest about that. And I think that's just one of our responsibilities as researchers. Professor Dan Benjamin took a risk with research when he shot down the so-called marshmallow test. That's the one that used kids to predict what they do as adults. He is a behavioral economist at UCLA Anderson, so I asked him how he controls his own behavior when he senses a breakthrough. One of the things that I've learned through years of doing research is that the feelings of excitement and failure can happen you know, much more than there really is success and failure. That is, you can go from you found something really amazing to thinking that the whole thing is a disaster and, and a waste of time. You know, what I've learned is to try to keep all of those feelings in check, you know, move forward with the research as much as I can the same way I would without those feelings, because the most likely thing is that feeling is going to pass. I really have had research findings that I'm very excited about that I think really are a big deal, and I think that feeling is not going to pass. Then what I aspire to do and what I try to do is to be especially critical to subject the results to the harshest tests that I can, you know, try to be my own worst critic because when important breakthroughs are announced and published, people are rightfully critical of them as that's how science makes progress. And so, you know, we want to be ahead of that and not be surprised. It's important to be absolutely sure that I've got it right before I say that I've accomplished something big. Do you know of examples of people who have gotten excited about their research, thought they had made a breakthrough, and made the mistake of publishing too soon and ending up with a disaster? Yeah, it happens all the time. And these days, what happens is increasingly people are posting preprints, which means that they're putting results online before they're published, before they've gone through any kind of peer review. Which, you know, I think it can be a very good thing because it means that science can progress more quickly. It's part of open science and making sure that the, you know, with the journals, only people with journal subscriptions can read the work and open preprints allow broader access to research. So there's lots of good things about preprints, but they do also create the temptation to post your results online too quickly when you think you have something big before you've subjected them to the scrutiny and before, you know, your colleagues have had a chance to scrutinize them. I'm afraid that does happen too often. I think about the skepticism that people will rightfully have. When important breakthroughs are made, the scientific community reacts by trying to poke holes, as they should. I mean, that's one of the reasons why science is so successful at building a cumulative knowledge because it, it's constantly questioning conclusions and making sure that things are really there before declaring them established. So when you know that you're going to face that kind of scrutiny and criticism, you better make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. So I remind myself of that and try to make sure that I anticipate what the concerns and criticisms are going to be and that I'm upfront about them and that I've thought about them and address them as best I can. Now, researchers who get ahead of themselves can destroy their careers. We heard that earlier from Professor Stephen Spiller. So I asked him, what should they do about an early breakthrough? 
That's a really interesting question. So I think there are two quick thoughts that come to mind. One is what are the benefits from getting this out there as soon as possible? The second is how confident are we in the results? Because oftentimes when we think that we're right on the the verge of figuring something out, there's still uncertainty there. There are important things to go back and double check. Did we miscode something in the data? Is there some other explanation that may be less exciting, less of a breakthrough explanation for what we found instead? And it's really important, in my view, to figure that out before going too broad with it. And I think that this is especially important because initial breakthrough announcements can take on a life of their own, even when a follow-up reveals, ah, maybe we got a little bit ahead of ourselves. And so we see this multiple times during the pandemic. Early on, there were some promising looking results from treatment with hydroxychloroquine. And it turns out that announcement probably was a bit overstated. And subsequent research dampened the actual takeaways. It was not a really effective treatment or cure. And yet, that's how a lot of assessments of misinformation got started because the initial breakthrough exciting announcement takes off. And then the slower reflection, nuanced with caveats follow up doesn't spread with quite the same speed. And so I think it's part of our responsibility to make sure that we don't inadvertently contribute to that. In my view, I think that it can be important to make sure our T's are crossed, our I's are dotted before racing ahead of a breakthrough. Now, that's going to be the case for, I would say, most of what I work on. I don't want to speak to cases where there may be, you know, the the breakthrough for getting the news about the vaccines out there, where there was much better evidence much earlier on with the possibility of remarkably rapidly saving lives. That's the trade-off is that in those sorts of cases, obviously you still need to get it right, but sometimes it can be really critical to move as fast as possible on those confirmatory steps to get it out there. I think that sometimes, even in less critical cases, people may bypass some of those confirmatory steps or checking in order to get the news out there before we've really had a chance to confirm and be confident that that's what's going on. Are there, in some cases, if you speak too soon, risks to your own profession? I think so. I mean, I think that you can see cases in which, and I'm trying to think if any immediately come to mind, but you can think of cases where getting a early announcement out there that later turns out to be wrong causes people, and here thinking about people, this may be closely defined in the profession, this may be uh, other researchers, or this may be the public at large, take a step back and start to question everything else. And a lot of cases where maybe there is a more firm backing for the result, but you can have these carryover, uh, effectively spoiling uh, other findings because we didn't take our due diligence 
in one case. And so I think that, that that can be a case where you can see spillovers, not just for a particular result or a particular finding, but for how people generalize to, oh, I heard uh, marketing researchers say this one absolutely unbelievable finding this time. It turned out not to be true. I don't believe anything those guys have to say. And that can be damaging. And so I think this, it's important to not find ourselves in that situation to try to make sure that you know what we're putting out there is meaningful, is accurate, and isn't going to be misleading. Mistakes happen when they do. It's important to correct them. But I think we can do a lot of our, our due diligence up front, not racing to get it out in front of the public before it's had the chance to be vetted sometimes. We've heard a variety of ways to cope with the excitement of research that comes up with a possible early breakthrough. Our final question went to Professor Chris Tang. He's the Edward W. Carter Chair at UCLA's Anderson School of Management. His reputation is worldwide in global supply chain management. What about the researchers themselves? What do you do if you're on the verge of something, but you're not quite sure? Do you take the risk of making an announcement that would make a difference to people, even though there's the possibility that you might turn out to be wrong? Well, I think as a researcher, uh, what they mean by, by announcement is with the research projects. Uh, we do research projects, we can set up a hypothesis, and then we test them. Some could be right, some can be wrong, but that is what discovery is about, right? So I think as a researcher, we should be uh, more brave to explore different viewpoints, different ideas, and sometimes we can be wrong. I think that is one beautiful thing about the United States. We should be brave enough to admit we make mistakes and learn from it. That is the American spirit. Well, that is sage advice, and hopefully it's a spirit that is contagious now that so much important economic research focuses on the global economy. This has been a special episode of How the World Works, the podcast from the UCLA Anderson School of Management. I'm Warren Olney. Thanks for joining us. Come on back when we do it again.